You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Eskins. In January this year, a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that many teen girls and young women may receive unnecessary pelvic exams and pap tests. On this episode of the Women's Health Cast, Dr. Bridget Kelly sat down to talk about when younger people should start getting pelvic exams and pap tests and what she covers and visits with her adolescent patients. Dr. Kelly is a generalist in the UW Department of OBGYN with a special interest in pediatric and adolescent gynecology. I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Bridget Kelly today about OBGYN healthcare for teens and younger patients. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I know that some of your clinical interest is in um, pediatric adolescent gynecology, something like gynecology for younger patients. Um, I guess tell me a little bit about that clinical work. What does your clinical job look like? Yeah, so I am a general OBGYN, so I see pregnant and non-pregnant women throughout the lifespan, but I have a uh, special interest and focus on pediatric and adolescent patients. So I see girls before they've reached puberty and after puberty to help them with any gynecological issues that arise along the way. Um, So I see those patients at Union Corners on the east side. I read a study pretty recently, and this is why I wanted to talk to you, that found that many adolescent girls and younger women might be receiving more pelvic exams or pap tests than are sort of explicitly recommended right now. Um, I guess let's start with what are the current guidelines? So for a young person who might just be seeking gynecologic care, at what age is it recommended that they start getting pelvics? Yeah, so I think before we talk about what age to get a pelvic, we should talk about what a pelvic exam is. So because there's lots of different ideas of what a pelvic exam entails, but I think of a pelvic exam as having three separate parts. The first part of a pelvic exam is kind of is an external exam looking at the vulva. And then a, the second part is a speculum exam, which people usually think of as they're getting a pap smear. And a speculum exam is an instrument that helps us to look inside the vagina and look at the cervix. And we do that exam for pap smears and also not for pap smears. Um, and then the third part of a pelvic exam is an internal exam that we call a bimanual exam where we insert one or two gloved fingers with lubricant to feel um, internally the shape of the cervix and the uterus and the ovaries. Um, so going back to your question, there in general is not a reason that a pediatric or adolescent patient should ever have a speculum or a bimanual internal exam. But often we do look externally um, at the vulva and can look kind of at the opening of the vagina as well. But in general, um, young patients do not need and should not receive a full pelvic exam. I'd like to do the same question, but with pap tests. So both what is a pap test, what happens during it, and why do people get them? And then around what age does it, is it sort of typical to start getting regular pap tests? 
Yeah, so a pap test is a screening test for cervical cancer and precancer that we call cervical dysplasia. And so the guidelines have changed throughout the years, but the recommendation now is that women should receive their first pap smear at the age of 21. The other thing I was going to say is while pelvic exams aren't recommended for adolescents, it is recommended that adolescents have their first gynecological visit and exam, not a full pelvic exam, between ages 13 and 15. Why that early? It's really to start the conversation and establish a relationship with a gynecologist. And there are things to cover besides a pap smear, because again, a pap smear is not needed at that point. But we talk about puberty and um, the menstrual cycle and any problems associated with the menstrual cycle and also reproductive health, um, you know, sexual health, preventing pregnancy, the different options for contraception and safe sex and testing for sexually transmitted infections and talking about specifically safe sex to prevent those infections as well. Um, and there's a lot of questions and concerns that arise in adolescence and having a safe place and a person to talk to is important. So that's why we encourage to encourage adolescents to establish that relationship early on. We did just cover sort of the guidelines for younger patients. I'm curious, I'd like to kind of get an update on what the guidelines are for older adults in terms of frequency for exams. So how often um, how often should people go in for pelvic exams? How often should we expect pap tests? Yes, yeah, so in general, um, a reproductive age woman, not an adolescent, so let's say over age 21, should be seen yearly by a gynecologist. But again, they don't necessarily need a pap smear every year. Very few patients need a pap smear every year. In general, depending on um, the patient's age and medical history, you need a pap smear as often as every five years. Are there cases where people would need them more often? Yes, if they've had abnormal pap smears in the past or um, have HIV or a weakened immune system or have been exposed to DES, which is a drug that was used many, many years ago, but if they were exposed to that when their mom was pregnant, then they need more testing. Um, and also, it depends if testing for the human papillomavirus was done alongside the pap smear, which is the standard now for women over age 30. If in some younger patients these exams are happening more often than is precisely indicated, what are some of the harms of doing these too often? Well, I think first it can be traumatic for young women and adolescents to receive an unnecessary pelvic exam. It is not a comfortable procedure that people enjoy. And I think it starts off the relationship with the gynecologist in perhaps a negative way and may make those patients less likely to return to a gynecologist when they may need to. Um, also, in some cases, if people are doing unindicated pap smears, then you might find an abnormal result that might require intervention that is 
really not necessary and may have resolved on its own. What kinds of interventions sometimes happen? So if a woman has an abnormal pap smear, then often we do a colposcopy, which is a procedure where we look closely at the cervix and take a sample of tissue or a biopsy. Um, and that's a much more invasive procedure and not necessary for an adolescent to go through. So we know pelvic exams, pap tests, are not generally recommended for people under age 21, for your younger patients. Um, are there any reasons that someone might need one of these exams at a younger age? Yes. Um, if there is a problem, specifically like um, abnormal uterine bleeding, very heavy periods, or... Um, concerning vaginal discharge or concern for infection um, or severe pain, those all may be instances where a pelvic exam is necessary. What are some reasons adolescents might see gynecologists? Yeah, so there are a, a lot of different reasons that an adolescent can and should see a gynecologist. One talking about um, puberty and menses, any problems associated with that, such as irregular bleeding, heavy bleeding, painful periods, abnormal puberty, those are all reasons um, to see a gynecologist. Also, um, focusing on sexual health and preventing pregnancy, talking about all the different types of contraception that we have available and also how to prevent sexually transmitted infections and also test and even treat sexually transmitted infections. Um, we talk about LGBTQ issues, um, sexual identity, um, vaginal health and vaginal discharge. Yeah, and another reason is ovarian cysts and also um, any abnormal findings on an ultrasound if a patient ended up having an ultrasound. During those visits, which it, it sounds like many of the things you cover are very personal and very sensitive, um, how do you build in some very important one-on-one -on -one time with patients who might be minors and sometimes coming to appointments with an adult or a guardian? Yeah, so that's a very important point. So typically visits with adolescents, um, we start the visit with the adolescent and her guardian or parent and talk as a group. And then the parent or guardian steps out. And that's a really important time to develop that relationship with the adolescent one-on-one. -on -one. And we talk about confidentiality and making sure that the adolescent feels comfortable talking to me as their provider. And then, um, we close the visit, usually bringing the guardian or parent back in to conclude. I can remember my first time I had to go in for this visit and being incredibly nervous, and I was not sure what to expect. Um, it felt very stressful. And I'm curious how you help younger patients who might not be totally at ease with this new aspect of their healthcare feel more comfortable and confident working with you. Yes, I think there are a lot of different approaches. I think what helps a lot is to talk about it beforehand. 
especially if I have seen that patient earlier, then we may have already established a relationship. So then the patient already may be more comfortable at the visit. But if not, and even if so, we always spend time before the exam going over what the exam will entail, what to expect, and why we are doing the exam. Um, and I think that really helps so that it's not this big question where everyone is very uncomfortable and nervous, but having the knowledge about what to expect helps to make it a little bit more comfortable. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. On the next Women's HealthCast, which will be our 50th episode, we will look back at some highlights from your favorite interviews. You can catch up on how to choose the best birth control for you, what you need to know about cervical cancer, how diabetes affects pregnancy, and so much more. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issue you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening.